so glad you're joining us today. Today, I want to talk about <clears throat> learning a new language. Learning a new language. Let me illustrate. When I was in high school, my parents insisted that I take a foreign language. In fact, all five kids in the family, we had to take a foreign language. I was telling my sister, Dina, yesterday, she said, what are you preaching on today? And I told her my opening illustration. She said, oh, mom and dad made us take a... Um, my sister Cheryl and sister Dina, had, they had to take a foreign language. Dad hired someone from the university to teach them French at an early age. She said she knows about five words. So um, the only language that was offered was French. So I took a year of French, and then the, the teacher who was about, I don't know, 112, retired. She, she was old, bless her heart. And then they hired a Spanish teacher, and you've heard me talk about Vicky Ralph, um, she, she molded me in a number of ways, so I took two years of Spanish, and I got to college, and I took three years of Greek, and I, I minored in Greek, and I, I can stumble my way through some Greek, and I'm still learning English. So, um, I'm not sure why my parents wanted us to take a foreign language. Maybe they just wanted to expose us to another culture, or perhaps they thought down the road it might be beneficial. You know, it's really not a bad idea, learning a new language. Um... So there are people in the world that only know one language. Let me illustrate. A husband comes home and his wife says, why don't you vacuum the house and do some laundry? That's a foreign language to some husbands. They just don't understand that language. I remember when our son Spencer was young and I was in the living room. I remember it very well and I was down on the carpet and I was folding some laundry. I don't know how old he was, maybe eight or nine or ten. And he said, Dad, why are you doing a woman's job? So I had to teach him a new language. <clears throat> you take your car to the shop and the mechanic starts talking about engines and shocks and carburetors. And to many of you, that's a, that's a foreign language. You pull in and say, you know, the, the thingy up front was clicking when I was driving. That's a language we know. But um, some men can't speak um, car language. Some women can't. And some of both can. You go to the orthodontist and the doctor talks about overbite and underbite and spacers and they name your teeth and they number your teeth and your teeth have letters to the alphabet and I don't even know what they're talking about. And you look at the doctor and, and he says, yeah, your child needs braces. Okay, that, that's the kind of language I understand. When it comes to money and financials, that's a foreign language to some people. IRAs and 401ks and 403bs and mutual funds and capital gains. And you're like, Richie, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's a, that's a foreign language to me. And then you go to the doctor and you're not feeling well and the doctor starts talking about triglycerides and cholesterol and glucose and MRIs and CAT scans and dog scans and you don't know what your animals have to do with any of this. And you don't speak that language and the doctor says, you're sick, take these meds. We understand that language. Some people don't speak the language of sports. I remember the first time we took um, Spencer and Sydney to a Rangers baseball game. They were kind of young and didn't really know what was going on, and I was trying just to explain balls and strikes and outs and innings and various positions, and they looked at me and said, Dad, when are we going to get nachos? <laughs> foreign language, the foreign language of life's circumstances, and then there's French and German and Italian and Portuguese. There are over 7,000 languages spoken in the world, with 23 languages accounting for more than half of the world's population. You know, the major airports know the importance of foreign languages. There are signs posted everywhere, and it may look foreign to you, 
but to all the people that go through those airports, they are communicating with them. That's really what a foreign language is, communicating with people who aren't like you. Language is about communication. If we can't communicate, we can't relate. If we can't communicate, we can't relate. And so then there's church. And church is a foreign language to some people. They don't understand what we do. They don't understand what we say. They don't understand how we operate. And what's this whole communion stuff? And am I supposed to participate, not participate? And why do you have crackers? And why do you have juice? And a lot of the things we do, it's a foreign language. And I wonder if there are people... In fact, we know there are people in the world who stay away from church because they don't know church language and don't know how they're supposed to act when they come inside these walls. They don't know our language. So maybe it's time we learned a new language. That's what I want to talk about today, learning a new language. I wonder if learning a new language would change our purpose. I wonder if it would change our worship. I wonder if it would change our outlook. I wonder if it would change our outreach to learn a new language. Maybe one of the reasons we're not successful in reaching people is we're not speaking their language. Our language makes sense to us, but to the folks outside these walls, it makes no sense. We're speaking a language they don't understand, or we don't understand their language, and so we don't know how to relate. So when you learn a new language, that's how we relate to one another. You know, there's a big difference when you talk to church folks about church and when you talk to folks who are not church folks about church. So maybe we need to learn a new language. Several years ago, we went on a cruise, and we stopped at one of the ports, and I sat down at a table for a food stop, and there were three people sitting. I was kind of back-to-back to them, and they were having this conversation about the legalization of marijuana. It's a foreign language to me. One was for and two were against. They talked about wanting to smoke marijuana and they talked about wanting to party and have fun in a legal way. And I sat and listened to this language that I really didn't know anything about. The two against had some pretty amazing arguments. We don't want marijuana running rampant. We want the government to protect us by regulating it. When you take the drug, you lose control of your mind and body. On and on the conversation went. And the girl who did want to legalize marijuana gave her argument. She said... It would help my mom who had a terminal illness. You still may not be speaking that language or understanding that language. But I sat and listened and I learned a new language. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking, Richie, here's what you should have done. You should have turned around and said, you need to go to church. In fact, you need to go to the Church of Christ. In fact, you really need to get in one of our Bible classes. In fact, you need to get off drugs because you're going to hell. That's church language I've heard before. It might be church language that you use. But probably not the language that they wanted to hear or needed to hear. Do they need Jesus? Did they need Jesus? Sure. Who doesn't? Everybody needs Jesus. But how are we going to communicate to people like that? What language do we need to learn? The people of our community are speaking a language. The people of our community have needs. And if we will learn to speak that language, I think we'll be a little more successful in reaching those people. But you're probably not going to like the language I'm about to speak. The church must always be asking the question, are we connecting with the culture around us? Are we speaking their language? You know, being a Christian is more than just believing some facts, and to bring others to Christ is more than just convincing them of facts. 
or even getting them to obey certain commandments. So, let me speak a foreign language to some. Here's the language our culture speaking. There's domestic violence and grandparents as parents and absent fathers and cohabitation and divorce and single moms raising kids and single dads raising kids and children's affected by divorce and social injustice and racial injustice and political injustice and there's anger and hatred and violence and poverty and everything going on with LGBTQ and I really think there's a plus and something after that that continues to change. I may be speaking a foreign language to some of you and to others you... You know exactly what I'm talking about. You may be living this. What are we doing to reach any of these people? What are we doing to meet their needs? What language are we speaking to these people? I love the terminology in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, the church at Corinth, they're wrestling with tongues and speaking in tongues. Now, I realize the context of speaking in tongues, but I I like these translations. Let me give you two. If you speak in a way no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? There are many languages in the world, and they all mean something to someone, but if I don't understand a language, it's not going to do me much good. Kind of wondering if people outside these walls are saying that. Let me give you a different translation. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning, but if I don't understand a language... I'll be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. So when it comes to learning a new language, um, maybe we need to learn a new language. I'll give you some illustrations. What if we sent a missionary to another country? Can you imagine if the missionary went to that culture? We understand, to a certain degree, the language of our culture, but what if that missionary went to that culture and said, you need to learn my language... And you need to sing my style of music. Sounds a a bit odd, don't you think? Maybe an unrealistic expectation. But that's exactly what we're saying to the culture around us when we say, come and do what we do. Come and do what we do at the time we decide to do it. Come and sing what we sing. Come and be just like us. And if you don't act like us and be like us, Mm. How much of our Sunday morning worship, how much of what we do in ministry speaks to the language of the culture around us? So as we move forward, I think it'd be healthy for our church to be reminded that there needs to be some dominant language in our church culture. We're going to have the language of love. You're like, we get that. We're going to love God and we're going to love others. That's a biblical language. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Richie, we get that. We get that fact. We, We know what that verse says. Richie, we're the most loving church around. We don't get to decide that. What would the culture around us say? I think we need to have the language of acceptance, which is another biblical language. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment. So I think think we need to understand what I'm about to say. I can accept you, and I can love you, and not approve of what you're doing and how you're living. I can accept you, and love you, and not approve of your behavior and lifestyle. 
I'm going to say the language of judging needs to go. You can hang around if you want to in the auditorium class today. I'll be talking about that. Just coincidentally, that's where we are in James. Not doing that on purpose. That's just where we are in James. For some reason, we, we, we like to judge people for their sin, for their lifestyle, because of what they do, because of what they believe in. You know, in John 8, they bring Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. They really weren't interested in the woman. They were trying to trap Jesus. But nonetheless, here's a woman who's caught in adultery, and, and she was caught in a sexual sin, and they wanted her to be stoned. They wanted to kill her. I mean, they, they wanted to kill her. She's just an object lesson to trap Jesus, and yet they were willing to put someone to death to trap Jesus. Just like some people today, I could give you a list of sins today, and there are some sins that some people would say, stone them. Oh, I, I know, we, we wouldn't really stone them. We'd say they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, they're sinning. It's always been kind of interesting that no one ever wants to stone those who lie or cheat on their taxes. Nobody wants to stone anybody for speeding on the interstate. Pull them over and stone them. Nobody wants to stone those who have anger and resentment issues. Nobody wants to stone those who cause division in the church. Nobody wants to stone anybody for grumbling and complaining. We'd all be dead. It seems we just want to stone those who commit sexual sins. You know, the adulterers and the homosexuals. Let's stone them. That seems right. What was it Jesus said? He who is without sin casts the first stone. The only people qualified to throw stones that day um, are those with no sins. So no one was qualified. So no one's qualified. The only person that day who was qualified, Jesus, didn't throw a stone. But, I, I know what's coming. There's days that I have intelligence. But Richie, Jesus said, Jesus said, go and sin no more. So I'm going to do that today. So those of you who lie and cheat and gossip and cause division in the church with all your grumbling and cheat on your taxes and rob God of tithes and spread rumors and tell filthy jokes and you're involved in idolatry with the things that you love and the money you love more than God, those full of hatred and jealousy and fits of rage and drunkenness, stop sinning. And those of you involved in adultery and fornication and homosexuality and pornography, stop. Stop sinning. From God's word, I'll say, go and sin no more. In the name of God, I'll say, stop, and, stop sinning, go and sin no more. And yet even when I say that, those of you who seem to take great pleasure in judging are like, finally, finally, he mentioned some stuff I wished he'd say. And we still judge and we still want to throw stones. So let me just say... Um, that language doesn't work, judging. That language doesn't work. Not many people, if any, are brought to Jesus through condemnation and judging. You know, our problem is we think our, all sins are equal. 
We think some are more heinous and some are more dreadful and some are more shocking and some are more terrible and some are more scandalous, so we judge and we throw stones. And it's kind of interesting. There's, to, to most people, there's two kinds of sins. There's my sin and your sin, and yours is bad. Right? But Richie, you need to preach the truth to these people. I agree. I 100% agree. So do you. In all of my years of preaching, um, this, this, this really isn't the main point of the sermon. I hope you're not landing on this. I'm just saying the language of judging needs to go. In all of my years of preaching, there's, there's never been a shortage of people that say, Richie, you need to preach on this. We all do. So again, I'm, I'm going to say, um, stop sinning. I'm quoting Jesus. I'm not being mean. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being condemning. I love you too much. I hope you hear that. I'm going to illustrate that. I love you too much not to say that. I love you too much not to quote what Jesus says. And Jesus says, stop sinning. So we need to stop sinning. I just think you reach people um, more effectively through love and acceptance. I used an illustration last May. So I don't know if you were tuning in online. If you were watching, I need to repeat that, this illustration, because it just applies here. I was in college ministry for 14 years, and it wasn't unusual for me to try to realign students. So on one occasion, one of my students, a good Christian young man, started going down the wrong path. And it was obvious to me, and it was obvious to the other college students, and people were talking, and he was running with the wrong crowd, and he started doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And he knew better. I knew he knew better but don't we all don't we all know better when we sin but this time he was caught in sin caught in sin in that he couldn't find his way out the bible says we get entangled in sin and we're like i don't even know how to get out of this like a trap and he was caught by some other students and he was caught by me and he moved into a rent house with some other young men and one night to raise money for rent they had a kegger so that involves alcohol, if that's a foreign language to some of y'all. They had a beer party, and they were charging 3 or 4 or $5 um, to raise money for rent. And some of you might be thinking, what an entrepreneur. So it was brought to my attention. I got several calls, and I went over, and I parked in his driveway, and he saw my vehicle, and he came out, and he said, uh, what are you doing here? And I looked at him, and I said, what are you doing here? And uh, he straight up said, Richie, we, we're having trouble paying for rent. We're having a kegger. We're just, some of y'all are thinking, what an entrepreneur. I said something like, you know, that's, that's a bad idea. Just stop. You, you know better than this. And I told him he was heading down the wrong path. And he wasn't mad at me. He said, Richie, you, you just need to go. And he said the party would continue. So I left and I considered my options. And I called in reinforcements. So I called um, his grandmother, who raised him. She was a good, staunch Christian woman. I knew her, and I told her what was going on, and I told her I'd been over, and I told her I didn't know where else to turn, and she thanked me. She said, I'll handle it. She lived about 30 miles away, and she got there in about 12 minutes. <laughs> I proceeded to go over, and I just sat in my car and watched. And uh, I called for correction, and correction arrived. Let me tell you why I did that. I love that kid. Still do. And I accepted that kid. And I wasn't going to judge that kid. And that kid didn't speak to me for a year. 
still came to all of our activities. Still came. I was glad. He came in after about a year and he sat down and seemed like an hour. I just kept doing what I was doing and he sat down and he said, you know, I've been pretty mad at you. And I'm like, I know. He said, thanks. I, I, I just think the language of love and acceptance is more effective with people than judging and condemnation. And so I preach the language of love and acceptance and I... I preach the language of grandma. Sometimes that works. Love this quote by Beth Moore. What's not going to serve us well in this era is arrogance. We have to be willing to stare at ourselves in the mirror and ask an honest question. Does anybody out there in the unbelieving world want what I have? If we have the love and hope of Jesus and the joy of those who know they're forgiven and the security of those who know they're loved unconditionally and the certainty of those who know where they are headed when this life is over, the answer to that question will be yes. If we're grossly self-righteous and condemning and lack humility and gentleness and grace and genuine love, we can't blame their resistance on being put off by Jesus. They'll be put off by us. Love that quote. You know, I think another dominant language that we're going to have to learn is a tough one. I said some of this y'all probably would struggle with. I do too. It's a language of change. I mean, wow, we, we've had to learn the language of change the last year. I mean, the, the live stream, Vince is up there running live stream. People all over the world that want to tune in. Our, our audience is no longer right here. So we've, have to, we've had to learn that our audience is wherever. So let me speak some foreign language to you. So there's, there's the physical church, what we're doing there's the digital church that Vince is running a live stream, and so now they're talking about the digital church. Physical and digital. So the physical's coming back. We're able to meet now. The digital's not ever going away. So what are we going to do? What language are we going to speak to, to, to reach those people? It, we can't afford to return to what we used to do. We're going to have to change. And I know saying the word change just... Uh, Although some people, you, you change stuff every day. I preached a lesson last July. I don't think we were meeting. I think we met in June called Resetting the Direction of the Church. You won't often hear me say this, but you ought to go listen to that sermon. Because our goal should never be just to meet here on Sunday. We're going to have to change that language and that mindset. We've expected for too long for the community to come to us. And guess what? They're tuning in right now on live stream. You're like, live stream? I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a foreign language. I think it's time we had a more intentional, um, more intentionality in being outside these walls. We need to change our mindset. We need to be more engaged. We need to be more intentional. We need to change our language and be Jesus outside these walls. I'm not suggesting that's not happening. I just think we need to ramp that up with our engagement and involvement and our presence. We, we need to learn the language of change. We need to change our mindset from inside these walls to outside these walls. We need to change our focus from serving ourselves to serving others. And we need to change our mindset from dropping just a few dollars in the plate to dropping our lives into the community. You know, as another example, in the past year we've changed our language regarding the role of women. And I know that's been difficult for some of you. It's been difficult for me. I, I wasn't raised that way. Didn't grow up that way. Doesn't make it right or wrong. Um, but I appreciate the way you've received that. I do. 
because I know that's been difficult. And I appreciate the way um, many of you have accepted that, but it has been difficult, and we, we still haven't figured that out. We, we talk about that all the time. We talked about it Thursday in our elder staff Zoom meeting. So um, I want you to know we're not trying to be disruptive, but we're trying to speak a different language that might be appealing to people outside these walls. You know, it's always interesting to me. I can quote the words of a woman all day long. The, the, the words I put up from... I can quote Beth Moore all day long, and nobody's going to blink. But I called Beth Moore up on stage. It's like, oh, I struggle with that. Listen, folks, there's a world outside these walls that's not concerned with whether we put a woman on stage or not. They see it all the time where they are in their workplace. There's a world right outside these doors that's struggling to make ends meet and struggling in their marriages and struggling raising their kids and struggling with sexuality and insecurities and finances and their aging parents and all the injustices. And they're, they're not fussing about the stuff we fuss about. They're just wanting to know if someone cares. They're just wanting to know if there's hope. They're wanting to know if there's a brighter day. And I'm just kind of wondering what language are we speaking to them because really all we're trying to do as a church i hope you know this all we're trying to do as a church is connect with the culture around us and learn to speak their language so how long will we continue to do what we've always done not right or wrong not scriptural or not scriptural just to appease the folks who've always been here and not speak the language of the culture around us because if we're wanting to connect with the culture around us and speak their language Again, we're going to have to continue to make some changes. I need to keep moving. Um, this fit in this lesson. So I've struggled with this all week, and I, I, I can't not say it. So um, I told Kelly, Kelly doesn't ever know what I'm preaching on. She, I may tell her the title. And y'all will say to me, y'all let Kelly write some of your sermons. And I said, Kelly, you just, I need some extra prayers this week because I can't not say this. Because I love you too much. We need to learn the language of cooperation. We need to learn the language of unity. I read in Judges, I've preached on this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Another translation, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Another translation, people did whatever they felt like doing. Um, I, I, I love you too much not to say, I think that's a little rampant in this church. I think it needs to stop. You know, what this verse is, is don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. We're going to do whatever we want to do. That's a divisive language, and it's a disruptive language, and it's a toxic language, and it's a draining language, and I really think we need to get on the same page and have a spirit of cooperation. So I've shared this illustration with the elders. I love this illustration. When I was in East Texas at Pine Tree, one time we had Ian Fair from ACU. Maybe you know Ian Fair. He came out, and he was doing a seminar for us, and he gave us an illustration because we were struggling with some toxic language and toxic people and lack of cooperation. He said, let me give you an illustration. 
they decided at the church he was at not to have an auditorium class anymore, and they were just going to have classes all throughout the building. This church has done that before, and currently we have an auditorium class. It's not scriptural or unscriptural. Just want to clear that up. But they decided they weren't going to have an auditorium class, and there was one lady, I believe her name was Birdie. She went in and she sat in auditorium. She went and sat in her class that was no more. No class, no teacher, but Birdie was going to auditorium. Every week, she'd go in there and sit in the auditorium. They'd go in, and they'd turn out the lights, and Bertie would go, turn the lights on. Turn the lights off, and Bertie would turn the lights on. So the shepherds called Bertie in, and they said, Bertie, we love you, but we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. That's very loving. It's very sensitive. Makes a statement. She quit. Bertie didn't like some of the decisions the elders had made, and that was her way of saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to sit in the auditorium if I feel like it. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. You know, we've made some changes around here that some people don't like. Just in case you're not aware, welcome to church. And so, to all the birdies in our congregation, I'm going to tell you, I love you. We love you. We're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. Because the language of grumbling and complaining needs to stop and the language of cooperation and unity needs to prevail. I, I, I just want to tell you that in, in, in all of my years of ministry, 30-something, all the elders' meetings I've ever been to, which that ought to get me to heaven. I've never been in an elders meeting that was trying to be malicious and disturb and disrupt the congregation. Elders want to do what's best for the congregation. And that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to change the culture and trying to be a healthier church. And we're trying to be a church that's so healthy that we're reaching people around us because we want to speak that language. And yet, um, I love this verse. When Jesus was talking to his followers, he says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. Sometimes the staff will tell the elders, I'm a little too much transparency here, but we're having fun today, right? Sometimes, <laughs> I am. Sometimes we tell our shepherds, I'm not sure you guys communicated that right. We're not being mean or derogatory, and they'll like, yeah, we probably should have. So... All we're trying to do as, as, a, as a church, as a staff, as a leadership is, we just want to do what's good and best and right and healthy for this church. And there's going to be some decisions around here that you may not like. There have been. There always have been. And there could be a decision tomorrow. I'm just hypothetical. And you're like, I don't like that decision. But the, the language of cooperation and unity needs to prevail. Listen, I, I don't always like the decisions my wife makes. Well, you should just leave her. I'm not leaving her. I don't always like some decisions that my kids make. Their spouses make all the right decisions. <laughs> but listen, the, I still want to have a, a language of cooperation with Kelly, with my kids, with people. And so I guess I just think we need to learn a new language. So as we move forward... Um, I just want to remind you, we're, we're just trying to do what's best. We're trying to do what's healthy. We're trying to learn a language that's best for this congregation and best for those outside these walls. And you may not like the way that we, the language we speak, 
We're, we're trying to do what's best. You know, God spoke a language to us, and He put His Son on the cross. I don't understand that language. I don't understand why God would do that. That's foreign to me. That He would have someone take my place on the cross, pay my sin debt, shed His blood. I don't understand that language. But I love that language. So the invitation we offer today is the language of God. And God loves us. And God accepts us. While we were still sinners, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, God said, I love you too much. And I'm going to demonstrate my love and I'm going to put my son on the cross. And that's the language that the world needs to hear. And that's the language that I hope you need to hear today. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, can I encourage you to do that today? We've got a baptistry up here. That may be a foreign language to you. You're like, why do they always have water up there? Because we believe in baptism. And we believe the Bible says that when we're buried with Jesus in baptism, when we go into this liquid grave, our sins are washed away. And you're like, that doesn't even make sense. That language doesn't make sense. And when we come up out of that water, we're a new person, a new creation, and we're right with God. We're not against God. We're right with God. So that's the language that we preach that we believe the Bible says. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and if you've never been baptized, we'd love for you to do that today, and we'll assist you with that. If you need to respond to the invitation in any way, please do so as we stand and sing.